For those of you who know my, know my wardrobe, you know that I've got a new shirt. This is my birthday shirt. It's green. Me and Kermit the Frog. Like green. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. If you've been here for a while, you're aware that we've been kind of working our way through Acts. Pardon? <laughs> Until today. I was reading through Acts 9, and I got to verse 31. It said, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And the Holy Spirit stopped me there. Because I'm aware that the fear of the Lord first occurs in Acts 5, which I skipped. Because it's difficult. And the Holy Spirit actually pulled me up short and said, you don't get to pick and choose which parts you believe or which parts you preach. So there's something there, though, of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to that. But before we do, we're going to circle back to Acts 5. Before we do, we better pray. Lord, we just thank you that all of your word is inspired and from you. God breathed, and it's profitable. And so we open our hearts to all of your word and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name. I'm going to read through Acts 5, 1 to 11, and then come back and make some comments on it and see what the Holy Spirit has to say. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession. And they kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Well, it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own? Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. That's where that comes in. And the young men arose, wrapped him, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, when his wife came in, not knowing what was hap had happened, and Peter answered her, it's, I don't know why it says answered her, because he asked, asked her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said yes for so much, and Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and all those who heard these things. That's kind of a duh. Great fear came upon everyone. When I was young, I was, as I said before, I was raised in an evangelical church. I read this and I didn't understand it. So I found it really disturbing. They didn't steal money. They gave money. Yet they died. 
And so I kind of didn't like this one. Hence, I skipped it. (laughs) But as the Holy Spirit, as I've gone back and looked at it and come to understand, it says something quite different. And the key, I think, is uh, in verse 4. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Mary is really wonderful at word studies, and so I get almost all of my deep information from her. But she said, conceived, in the uh, Greek literally means brooded or planned or strategized. They had this plan together to say that they sold their property for so much when they actually sold it for more, and they gave what they said they sold it for. So just for understanding's sake, let's say they sold it for 50,000, but they said they sold it for 30,000, and they gave the 30,000, but they kept back the other 20,000. Why is that so bad? It's not so bad except that they lied. Why would they do that? It was their money. See, the whole point here, it's not about money at all. It's about something totally different. It seems they wanted to appear more spiritual than they really were. Maybe they saw Barnabas, who had sold the property and gave it, got approval, and so they wanted to to be like that. And so they thought, if I say I gave all the money I made, I'll be more spiritual. Now that I understand it, I find it even more disturbing. Because I've done the same thing. How many times have I tried to look more spiritual? Communicated in such a way when God does something that I emphasize my part in it, not his. How many times have I tried to make my sacrifice seem greater than it was. See, sometimes God asks us to do something that are sacrificial, but he gives us grace to do it. Yet we focus on the sacrifice and not the grace. So I looked at that and I went, God, why am I still alive? His grace. And the thing I think is the key is that they conceived something in their heart. They planned something. But while they're planning, the Holy Spirit is telling them, hey, don't do this. And in order to go through with it, they had to harden their heart to the Holy Spirit. In chapter, in, uh, from verse 12, it goes on, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and none of the rest dared join them. I can understand that. But the people esteemed them highly. The brethren were increasing, 
and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on them. There's something of the presence of God. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented, and they were all healed. There's something of that. Let's put this whole thing in context as we look at it. They had just experienced the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit to date. Passover and Pentecost that the Jewish people had looked forward to for 2,000 years actually came about. And there was something of this outpouring of the Spirit of God uh, that they had been praying for. I want to jump aside here because I think we're facing the same type thing, a moving of the Holy Spirit like never before in history that many of us have been praying for. So don't just say this is historic. This applies to us. See, what they just experienced is this incredible privilege and power and authority that comes with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's this incredible privilege, but coupled with that is also a responsibility. And too often we focus on the privilege and the power and we ignore the responsibility. And here at the beginning of the move of God and the growth of the church, God makes sure that we don't separate the two. See, it comes down to this. God is holy and loving. And we can't pick one. Because it's not a characteristic of God, it's who he is. He is holy and he is loving. Holy means set apart, pure. What happened is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this, holy is not the first name. It's an adjective. Every time we say Holy Spirit, we're being reminded of the flip side of the privilege, the responsibility. The responsibility to walk in His holiness. See, when we receive the Spirit of God, we receive the privilege, the power, and the authority. But we also receive the holiness. That's who the Spirit is. Not a doctrine. I like this doctrine. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive both. Somehow, in emphasizing the privilege and the power, we've divorced it in much of the church from the responsibility. And we said it doesn't matter how I live. See, when we embrace the presence of God, 
embrace both. I want to kind of digress a little bit because I want you to understand that as a church, we're aiming at the presence of God. We're running hard after the presence of God. That's what we desire. It's his presence that makes us different. It's the goal of our worship. It's, these guys aren't here saying, how can we make excellent music? That's not the goal. That, that's helpful because when it's really bad, we kind of get focused on that and not on Jesus. But the goal is, how do we bring a whole group of people into his presence. His word says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. There's something about the presence of God that's manifest. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit yourself, but we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how that works. That's just the Bible. You can experience the presence of God, but there's something as we come together and corporately focus on him and worship him that his presence is manifest more and more. If you're not a worshiper, you're just riding on everyone else's worship. So just say, okay, I'm going to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Okay. There's something about the manifestation of the presence of God that increases as we come together in unity to worship him. That's our goal. But when we embrace the presence of God, we're embracing the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. You can't have one without the other. Because it's the same presence. The Holy Spirit is still holy. The presence of God. We embrace both. I want to ask you, are you embracing both? Some of us, we really like the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I like that part. But if we're going to be part of what God's doing in the world... We have to embrace all of his presence. We embrace the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the reverence. It's not I'm afraid of God, but it's a reverence for his holiness. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. There's two sides. I want the presence of God. I want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But I also have to recognize that he's working something in me to hate evil. Okay. Deep breath. I want to give you an aside here. I was challenged again. Mary challenged me yesterday. I actually... I'm amazed how the Holy Spirit puts things together because I didn't know what I was preaching until about six this morning. It was a whole lot of different things trying to fly, flow together. And so nobody else knew what I was preaching because I didn't even know. But the Holy Spirit did. And so uh, she said, uh, have you ever looked at this from Peter's seat? From his perspective. Pretend you're Peter. You're there 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God's moving. He'd been the one who denied Jesus, who's been restored. He's there, and one day, this guy walks in and he has a word of knowledge. That's all it was. A word of knowledge. And he says to the guy, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. How did he know? Because the Holy Spirit said. (laughs) And so he shares with the guy, why did you conceive this in your heart? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The guy falls down dead. If I'm Peter, I'm going, oh my God. He's dead. I'm the one who denied Jesus. Why am I still alive? They take him away, and he's got three hours. I bet in that three hours, he's back to praying, God, what in the world is going on? And then the wife comes in. And he had some expectations. See, he didn't know when he had that word of knowledge that the guy was going to die. I bet he was shocked. As I would be. Don't any of you go diet on us this morning, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure my heart could handle it. But the wife comes in, and now he knows, and he asks her, did you sell the property for this amount? He cuts right to the, the core. It's her opportunity to come clean. See, there's something that goes on and says, why have you agreed together? There's something about agreement that is amazing. But we can agree for good or we can agree for evil. And they had agreed to lie about the the amount of money. Not to men, but to the Holy Spirit. And she has an opportunity to break that agreement and come clean. But they had conceived this in their heart. They had planned this. So much so that while the Holy Spirit was trying to bring a conviction of sin, they had hardened their heart to the Holy Spirit. So at this point, she was so hardened, she just said, yes, we did this. And boom, she dies. Interesting that if you read First and Second Peter, in light of that, you see that he writes a lot about the genuineness of our faith. He writes about be holy as he's holy. But he also writes about love. Because I'm sure he must have thought, why am I still alive? Except the grace and the love of God. So, what does that mean for us? See, we've been following after the presence of God, and he's present here today. For some of us, he's present in holiness. For some of us, He's calling us to repent from the sin we've allowed to creep in. Now, if that's what he's doing in you, I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to point out your sin. You already know it. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So as soon as I say that, boom, immediately you know what that is. 
So let me encourage you. Just follow him. He's not against you. He's for you. But he's saying, hey, there are some things we need to make sure are rooted out. Maybe you have allowed some things to creep in. Maybe you've said, I'm so focused on the, the privilege and the power and I have ignored the holiness. And the Holy Spirit says, we've got to make some adjustments. Just do it. But for some... He's present in comfort. Maybe he's breathing life into your dry bones. Maybe he's calming the storm that you're facing. Maybe he's just pouring love into your loneliness. Allow him to do that. It's the same presence of God. It always amazes me. How can God minister to all of us differently? No matter what the songs that the team chooses, or no matter what word I'm preaching, or whoever's preaching, how can he miss? Because it's his presence. And he knows what we need. But for some... He's actually calling us to follow him. He's calling you to follow him. He's saying, come, follow me. And for some of us, your first response is, I believe in Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, believing is not following. James 2.19 says the demons believe. And tremble. Would uh, Johnny, will you give me a hand and bring that whiteboard over here? Oliver, maybe you can help him. He's going to need two because it, the wheels don't track very well on that one. I don't know why. Squeaky, squeaky. Uh, we're going to have to put it back as far as we can so you can see it. Slide it back that way. Okay. No, not everyone's going to be able to see it, I don't think. Oops. Bring this side out because I'm hitting the... There's only so much, so much room we have here, so you're going to just have to help me. Those of you who were at the, uh, the equip saw this already. Matt actually shared it with us, and he says... Wait. <laughs> My artwork isn't working. Thank you, guys. Now you're stuck back there. <laughs> this big circle is your life. I finished. <laughs> this circle is your life. And for most of us, we're in the middle. There's other things in our life. Maybe there's family, friends, work. All these are quadrants. Maybe there's 
Pizza. Maybe there's hobbies or recreation. Sports. Maybe there's dreams. I'm saying this out loud so you can't in case you can't read my terrible handwriting. And for many people, there's Jesus. He's one of the quadrants. Problem is, all these serve you. And to say that we believe in Jesus is to just make him a quadrant in our life. What Jesus says is he wants to be Lord and take the center. There's this exchange because you then. And what happens is that all these things still remain, but they remain to serve him, not to serve you. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord of our life. But the problem is we've had this message that almost says, ah, you just have to believe in Jesus. Just add him as a quadrant. But it doesn't work. So how do we respond to this? We're going to just take a few minutes. Worship team is going to come back and just play a little bit. We're not in a hurry. I just want you to take some time this morning. And in the safety of God's presence, let him show you what he wants to do. I need to oil that thing. (laughs) Normally I would ask you to stand up, but we're not going to this morning. I want you to stay seated. I want you to just take a moment and just enjoy the presence of God. And if he's identifying some things that he wants to deal with on the holiness side, then just respond to him. If he's wanting to to bring comfort, respond to that. But let me tell you, if he's calling you to follow him, the greatest thing you can do is to obey that. Let him be Lord. Just close your eyes. Don't get distracted by others. It's not more spiritual to close your eyes. I say this all the time. I grew up in a church who always had to close our eyes and I always thought, why? It's just so that you're not distracted by anyone else. The word of knowledge that Michael had fit right in line with this because it was about the things that we choose to comfort rather than him. The word that Mary shared about some things falling off fit right in line. The prophetic song we sang, holy, 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 wasn't on their list, it wasn't planned. There's something of the Holy Spirit. So let's just, in his presence, 
allow him to speak to you. That's the privilege of every believer.